Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory, glory. This evening we are celebrating the leave-taking of Theophany, where we say our goodbyes to the Feast of Theophany. We also have commemorations for Holy Fathers who are slain at Sinai and Rathu, but also Saint Nino, Nino or Nina, the equal to the apostles in enlightenment of Georgia. And depending on which church you are in, St. Saba is either uh, today as in tomorrow, the 14th, or on the 12th. Um, I've seen it in different places. I believe the Church of Serbia um, moves it, and then everybody else does it on another day. St. Saba is uh, kind of equal to St. Nina. If you've uh, never read the life of St. Saba, I, I encourage you to read the life of St. Saba from uh, St. Nikolai Vodominovich, who... Uh, St. Vladimir's Press has released a new version of. Um, he is someone to know, to become familiar with, and also in the, reading, the writings of St. Nikolai. But this evening I would like for us to look um, at the epistle that is, a, that is assigned. Uh, we've been reading through James, uh, and we have some very poignant um, points from this epistle that I would like to bring out. Uh, this evening. This is for the reading that's assigned for the 14th. The epistle to the epistle of St. James is a deeply theological book that looks kind of simple on its face compared to say what we're about to uh, embark upon in about 20 minutes uh, with the book of Romans. Um, especially if you're coming from a Protestant background, Romans gets all the attention uh, and at least one reformer, uh, Luther, uh, referred to, and probably because he was very bombastic, he said things very strongly, uh, that James was an epistle of straw. This is kind of a famous saying. I'm sure uh, a Lutheran, I have at least a few Lutheran friends who would say, you're misinterpreting it or that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. He didn't have a great re reverence for James. James has a lot of practical... Um, theology going on. It's kind of almost like a wisdom book embedded within the New Testament. Um, and before I give too much intro, I'd like to actually get into the text because there's quite a bit that I'd like for us to at least contemplate for a moment. Uh, the reading that we have assigned is at the end of chapter 4 and to the beginning of chapter 5. And it starts off uh, with a command. Submit to God Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, double-mindedness is something that has already been addressed in the epistle towards, if I'm remembering correctly, at least the first chapter. If it's not in the second chapter, I'm pretty sure it's in the first chapter. And there he says something that kind of echoes uh, what I leaned upon on Sunday in the homily which is a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, or as one who has not found themselves in thinking upon or rooting themselves in the doctrines and teachings of the church, they're tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. That the illumination that we've received of holy baptism and chrismation is something that has content to it, but it's also something that is a challenge for us in all of our day-to-day -day life. Not that we go through, you know, rhetorical things about what is Christology, it means two uh, natures in one person. I mean, that's not what I mean. What I 
mean is it's such a struggle for us and the double-mindedness that James mentions here. There's another aspect of knowledge. We forget God. We forget God all the time. We forget him because we get absorbed in ourselves and what we think is important. So guess what the rest of what James has to say to us? So these are the ways in which we get absorbed and think uh, double-minded thoughts. Yes, we acknowledge God, but then our mind seems to dwell so much upon ourselves. And the first thing he talks about is maybe one of the greatest challenges. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? What's the double-mindedness here? You forget that you're under the law, and you think that you're above the law. Not, not only that, but you actually think that you are the judge to sit. There's no jury, actually. It's just you, and you've understood. You know what God wants. And in fact, that other person over there, they either don't get it, they don't care to get it, and I know that I'm right, and here we go. Words come from my lips, not to mention what the hardness of my heart, and who have I forgotten in all of this? God. My double-mindedness has put me in the place of judge. He goes on. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, We'll spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. This is a business plan, isn't it, John? <laughs> Forecast, what are we going to do in five years? What are we going to do in ten years? How much are we going to make? Uh, what can we invest in? Who can we get to invest with us? Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. What is the double-mindedness here? We think that we are the king of our own time and that uh, through our machinations and our uh, thinking and plotting and scheming, we're going to be able to make everything happen the ways that we want them to happen. Maybe this year has taught us something. <laughs> Things don't go the way that we plan. Pretty often. Unless maybe we have plans that things aren't going to go well, and then maybe you've rigged it correctly. <laughs> Put your expectations low, and then you'll never be disappointed. You probably have to have the challenge of actually experiencing joy, and if you have that temptation. This mindset goes against so much of what the world around us asks us. You just go through and you can see uh, billboards. Have you planned for your retirement? Are you insured? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for that? It's like every single thing, maybe for someone it's like shot of anxiety. Are you doing the, everything that you need to do? Do Are you on top of it? If you aren't on top of it, we, will, we can help you out. Everything is constantly plan, 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 plan. There's nothing wrong with being a steward and planning correctly. But there is something where we get lost in the details and forget that we're a vapor. 
forget that our life vanishes quickly and that we should say, and this is kind of almost becomes empty southern parlance, right? If God wills, Lord willing, that there is something at the heart of that that is absolutely true and necessary for us to hear time and again. Me getting up in the morning, enjoying my children, making breakfast, going on with my day is something that God wills. It's not something I can plan. It's not something that I can put together and make sure that I've got income at the end of the year, you know, that I can reinvest. Into... What is the next thing in which James reminds us how we can be double-minded? It is relying upon riches. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James has some very strong images. You have heaped up treasure in the last days and need the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. This isn't a diatribe against money per se, although we know from the Gospels and we know from the rest of Scripture that we need to watch ourselves and check ourselves and how we relate to money and riches, period. But we have here reminded for us that we have things that have been given to us. That what we owe, own rather, what is even on our bodies, as St. Basil will say, if you've got extra coats, they don't belong to you, they belong to somebody else. That a very, the fathers had a very specific idea, you have what you have in order to survive. But beyond that, a lot of it is luxury. And a lot of it is something that we think, especially, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. But the Lord of Sabaoth looks at all the things that we rest upon, the things that we help uh, to plan, that we help to shore up ourselves in the midst of all of our anxieties and frailness that we're all going to die. And we think that this will all save us or that somehow this will protect us. And what is the answer that James, because he doesn't leave us just being double-minded. He encourages singularity of heart, uh, purity of heart, that we remember God in all of our life and the things that we do. How do we fight against judgment, against judging others? Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious food of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. The challenge of judging others means that we need to develop love and patience for them. You probably find that you're not actually very patient with yourself, and usually what happens in stretching out to judge somebody else is that you've already applied all of this stuff to yourself, already feeling 
the shame and all the stuff that you've directed toward yourself. And so it's, very, it's really easy to mete it out to others. We have to grow patient. We have to root ourselves in sincere prayer to God. Next, he tells us to establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We have to root ourselves in God, not in our plans, not in the things that we think that we might be able to provide for us, you know, going out and making a profit. Again, we need to be wise stewards, but we need to have the perspective and not double-mindedness. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We end again with, don't grumble. Who is the famous, who is, who is some of the most famous grumblers in the Bible? It's Israel. They've been brought out of Egypt. They've been given everything. They have food that falls from the heavens that actually tastes pretty good. They are being led. They're being taken care of. But all they can think about is the time when they had the riches, they had the things that they had back in Egypt. Things that were empty. Things that were not going to lead them to the promised land. For the Lord is at hand. He is always present to us. And then one day, he will be completely present to us. And we'll see him face to face. We will see him as he is. And he will ask us, he will probe us with his love to see what exactly our heart is like. Are we double-minded? Have we worked on our patience? Have we attempted to cover others with love instead of judgment? Have we trusted in God and re relied upon him for everything in our life, from our paycheck to our shoes to the gas and our car? To even that everything, everything in our life is dependent upon him. May God give us clarity of vision, single-heartedness, and purity of heart, so that we may not be double-minded, but established in him. For the Lord is coming. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.